Well, it is so good to see you this morning. I have great news for you. Our students left uh, last Sunday or last Friday morning, and uh, they left at 6.30 in the morning with 52 students and adults. They got back last night with 52 students and adults. You'll hear more about what really matters. That does matter, by the way. I mean, we don't want to leave anybody. Uh, but we have great news of, of how God worked in their lives over the last uh, couple of week or last week. So uh, those of you online, welcome. And thanks for checking in with us. We're going to re- receive communion at the end of the service. And so I want to give you a heads up that you'll be able to uh, find some bread and some juice and participate with us. You don't want to miss it. So make plans to do that. Uh, right away. So it's not unusual uh, that I bring these passages to you, but I want to start with a passage, two passages that will set us up for the rest of our, our time to get together. Every single Sunday, you will hear us say, open your Bibles, open your Bibles, open your Bibles. Every Sunday we say, what does the Bible say? And now align your life to the truth of what God's word says. So why do we do that? Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God, it's alive, it's active, it's sharper than than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and the spirit, between the joint and the marrow. And here's the, the, the big part. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. That's why every week we say it's so important to spend time in God's word because it it goes deep into the heart. And it helps, it, it cuts away from all the fluff and helps us to realize what's really going on. Also, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true to make us, listen to this. It's useful to teach us what is true to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us what to do, what, what is right. God used it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. This is the power of God's word. That's why every week we come together and say, what does God's word have to say? And every song we sing, we check out the lyrics and make sure the lyrics align with theologically correct with God's word. And so the entire service is lined up in that direction. And I've got great news for you. You came on the most perfect Sunday because if you feel overwhelmed and you're just not sure about the power of Jesus Christ, the passage where we've read and we'll look at in in just a few moments, it's going to so overwhelm you with God's greatness and God's power. If you're wondering whether or not Jesus is the real deal, well, welcome again to an amazing service because we're going to be looking at a passage that talks about how real Jesus is. The reason we talk about the power of God's word, we live in a day where truth is just relative. You just pick your own truth, what's true is for good for you, what's good is for me, and just leave it alone. And Christ is maybe not denied, but he's just one of several great options. And that is so against what, what the Bible says. Many people feel like Jesus uh, is just one of several great options, and they, he, Jesus may be prominent, but he's not preeminent. And that's what we're going to be looking at today, the preeminence of Jesus. And when I say preeminence, I mean he's first in everything, first in importance, first in honor, first in our daily lives. And what we're going to challenge us, uh, us to do today is to make sure that we're not guilty of syncretism. Syncretism is where you take the best of all different religions and just what you like. It's cafeteria style, and you pick and choose what works for you. 
what we're going to find is it's Jesus alone. It's Christ alone. He holds all things together. Warren Wearsby put it this way. He said, they are not denying Christ, those who do, syn- do involve with syncretism. They are not denying Christ, but they are dethroning him and robbing him of his rightful place of preeminence. Well, the amazing thing about the reason that we're studying Colossians is the, the people in Colossae, the church there, there was heresy being in, in, invited into the service and into the, uh, into the teaching. And Paul wanted to quickly correct it. That they were saying basically that there are numerous ways to get close to God. There are numerous ways to, to be involved with, with, with God. And they, they were saying our hope is not in Jesus alone, but it's in following these rules or adding to it. Basically, Jesus plus. Paul emphasizes the preeminence of Christ, meaning he is superior in who he is and surpassing in all he does. So, open your Bibles. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. We'll begin with verse 15. Page 1182 if you're using the Bible in the seat pockets in front of you. Colossians 1 verse 15. I'll give you just a second to find that. So remember context. They are trying to say Jesus plus, and Paul is saying Jesus alone. Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. One God exists as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In fact, God the Son took on human flesh, and he's fully God and fully man. Every attribute, when it says he's the image, it means this. Every attribute of God is manifested in the Son. In fact, we'll get, uh, next year we'll get to Colossians chapter 2. And in verse 9 it says, For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. All the fullness of, of God came to live in the body of Jesus Christ. Fully God, fully man. And there's, if you can't get your head around it, good, neither can I. It's just one of those things that I live with the tension because you see one part of the time where Jesus is thirsty, asking for a drink of water, and the next minute he's walking on water. Fully God, fully man. Jesus was not born. He's always existed. If Jesus was born, he would have been created by God. In, all, in, in other words, he always existed. So we see he's the image of the invisible God. Secondly, he's the firstborn over all creation. This phrase has nothing to do with time, but it has everything to do with authority. When we receive communion in a few minutes, we will be saying, you have complete authority. You hold my life together. You hold all things together. And I give you complete worship and praise. I bow down to you. You are the authority in my life. So the firstborn over all creation. When we come to worship... We come to a throne and everything else arranges itself around that throne. That's why when we have worship together and we say, let the lyrics drive your worship. In some cases, you're, you're saying, oh, God, this is not true of me, but I want to be true of me. And so it's a, it's a song of confession. Other times, it's just nailing it down, going, yes, this is what I believe and this is what I'm laying my life, my life beliefs on. And so what we have when we come to worship 
We have a throne there, and we are aligning ourselves around the throne. In other words, we must shape our lives around him. He must be hub central for us because he holds it all together. He's hub central. N.T. Wright said this, and I thought this was so crazy. I'd never thought about this before. Only humans, it seems, have the capacity to live as something other than what they are. Here's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be God reflectors and image bearers wherever we go. God reflectors, image bearers, wherever we go, pointing people to Jesus. So he says only humans seem to have the capacity to live as something other than God reflectors and and image bearers. Trees, they behave like trees. Rocks act like rocks. The sea is and does what the sea is and does. And I thought, it is so true. We could all find ourselves sitting on the throne of God, asking him to step off, and we step into that place. We were made to be God reflectors and image bearers wherever we go, having the capacity to wander away from that call and to arrange our lives around something or someone else. Jesus just gets shifted. So today is an opportunity for us to realign ourselves, to circle the throne and get off that throne. In worship, we rearrange the furniture, making sure Jesus is in the center place where he belongs. You see, when we put something or someone else on the throne, center, hub, hub central for us, it becomes an idol. And that's what we worship. And here's what C.S. Lewis says about idols. Be careful. Idols break the hearts of their worshipers. Because idols were never designed to be hub central for us. Anything we bow t- down to will eventually gain mastery over us. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. So again, today, we have opportunity to say, am I aligning myself to Jesus Christ, who, as we've seen, he's, he's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. Notice this from Chris Tomlin. I thought this was so good. Wise hearts soon realize that not only is Jesus praiseworthy, but he's trustworthy too. There is no kinder or firmer a foundation to build our lives on. Life works best with Jesus on his throne, in the center, and everything else revolving around that throne. Verse 16. For by him, by Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven, things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. In other words, there is someone at the center of all things. There is someone who rules over heaven and earth. There is someone who defines what pure love, power, wisdom, faithfulness, righteousness, and grace look like. There is someone who controls the forces of physical nature and administrates the events of human history. There is someone who authors the plot details of the story of every human being who has ever lived. There is someone who's worthy of honor, dominion, and power. There is someone who's deserving of complete allegiance and unending worship of everyone. There is someone at the center, and it's not us. It's Jesus. Jesus alone. He's in absolute control. The one who made all the stars holds them together, and he's not surprised by world events. 
He's not wringing his hands wondering what in the world are we going to do. He's in control. Job 42.2 says, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. That's why we come back and allow Jesus to be, ask him to be front and central, hub central for us. He's never been out of control. Verse 17, he's before all things and in him all things hold together. All things. That means whatever you're facing, he can hold it together. Whatever the future may be, he holds it all together. He knows all things. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's just as omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniloving today as he was on the dawn of creation. Here's what Tony Evans said about this. First, the planets stay in their orbits because Jesus holds them there. If he can do that, if he can hold all the orbits and hold them together, if he can do that, you can be confident that he can hold you too. If things are falling apart in your life, it might be just because Jesus doesn't hold preeminent position in your heart. If you are freaking out right now, then there's a great chance that you're not having Jesus hub central. If you're scared like a chihuahua, then there's a problem. Because all they do is shake. And he's saying, no, he holds all things together. Verse 18, he's the head of the body. He's the head of the church. He's the beginning. He's the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything, he might have first place. He might have supremacy. He's the head of this church. When it comes to the people of God, Jesus never comes in second place. Always saying, you're in control. So if this is so true of us, then what what causes this to not work so well? What competes with this? And it's the, get ready for this. It's the idol of self. We make it all about us. We make the story about us. We are the central figure in the story, and the vantage point of everything is about meism. We pull the borders of our concerns to the narrow confines of what we want, what we feel, what we dream, what we think we need, what we, are, what we feel like we're, we're able to have. It all, it's all about meism. Colossians 1 says, no, it is not. It's about Christ and Christ alone. Sometimes we can get so caught up in meism that a good day is defined by this. It's pleasurable and easy for me. That's a good day. Or a good circumstance is one in which I get my way. Or a good marriage. i got to be careful here. A good marriage is one in which my spouse does whatever I want. A good church has the worship that I like. It's not too loud. It's not too soft. Ministries that satisfy me. And a pastor with a good southern accent. (laughs) A good job is one that keeps me happy and engaged. Basically, meism is this. It's a life shaped by a shrunken kingdom of one. We think it expands us, it shrinks. Because it all becomes about us and me and my and mine. Instead about what God wants to do. Remember Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. So Jesus came to decimate 
our misplaced loyalty, our loyalty to the people, other things or to us, so that we would find freedom from our bondage to ourselves. Verse 19. For God was so pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Think about this. It was God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus Christ and to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. It's all about him. He holds it all together. He deserves to be front and center. Warren Wiersbe put it this way. He said, when the God who made and maintains our universe entered our tiny planet, he condensed his omnipotence down to become a fetus, the tiniest of human life, in the womb of a Galilean teenager girl. He demonstrated his dynamic power, not just in making the universe, but in making himself a baby within it. That baby grew, that baby grew up, would walk on water, would calm seas, would open blind eyes, would heal leprous hands, would raise dead bodies, would feed 5,000 families. But he came to give you and me an opportunity to put our hope and trust in him, that he would be front and central. He would be in the, the, in the driver's seat for us. Colossians 1, 21 to 23. Look at the before and after. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy. Even though you used to be alienated, you present us holy without blemish or free from accusation. If you continue your faith established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you've heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become what? A servant. And that's the decision we need to make today. Do we become a servant of God? Because of all of who he is, of just what we've looked at alone, that Christ alone, have we, have we come to a place where we realize it is Christ alone. I put my hope and trust in him. And I now become a servant of his. There's a prayer I'd like for us to pray. I'll give you a moment to look at it. It says, infuse my heart with so much love for you that there's no room left for love of anything else, including my shrunken kingdom of one. You ought to take a screenshot of that. And let that be your prayer for every single day when you get up in the morning. God, infuse my heart with so much love for you that there's no room left for anything else, including my shrunken kingdom of one. So what do we do with this? Chris Tomlin said, remember, wise hearts soon realize that not only is Jesus praiseworthy, but he's trustworthy. There's no kinder or firmer a foundation to build our lives on 
Life works best with Jesus on his throne in the center and everything else revolving around that throne. So we're going to receive communion today. And it's really a time for you to give some thought to, is Jesus holding my life together or am I trusting other things and other people to try to hold my life together? And as you receive the bread, realize that Jesus is, represents the body of Christ broken for you, and he holds your life together. It represents why he came to hold your life together. And as you drink of the cup, let it be a reminder that Jesus' blood was spilled for you, and because of his blood was spilled for you, he holds your life together. So really what this is is an opportunity for you to do business with God And make sure that he's on the throne and that you're just circling around the throne. That he is hub central for you. We don't want anybody to miss out on communion. We have gluten free available if you need that. And uh, we'll have our uh, worship team receive communion first. And then as they start the song, then feel free to come when you're ready. Uh, Just come down the aisle. We have uh, two serving areas down front. And then then work our way around.